Chase, we got you on the line. Aloha. Hey, how are we doing, buddy? I'm doing really well. How are you? Doing great. Isn't it kind of neat how this whole thing works? Yeah. This <laughs> is like, you're being called for an interview. I'm like, sweet. <laughs> oh, funny. Okay, I didn't know what it, what it actually said on the other side because I've only called people from it. I haven't answered a call from it. Yeah. Sweet. Cool. So for uh, everybody that's going to be listening, um, why don't you just kind of let them know, like, who you are, what you do, what you're about, whatever you feel like they should know. Yeah, for sure. So um, for one, my name is Chase Nichols. I am originally from a suburb of Minneapolis in Minnesota. Um, and basically after I went to school for a couple of years, University of Minnesota, and I studied abroad and went to Australia and one, if you're still in school, study abroad before you graduate. Seriously, it's the best thing ever. But I had a kind of a finding myself type of moment and realized what I had kind of always known what I had wanted to do, but was a little too scared to admit it. But really all I wanted to do with the rest of my life was, one, pursue this childhood dream of being a race car driver, and two, just traveling the world and exploring and adventuring and just living that sort of, you know, traveling lifestyle. And mm-hmm. so you know, over the last handful of years has been a journey to just shed the things from my life that don't ring true to me. And really it's just been a, a very much wellness-focused um, mission and just trying to be as grateful and present and just happy as possible and just trying to become mindful, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. So... So where are you at with uh, with your childhood dream of being the race car driver and traveling? Like, what what's that looks like lately for you? Um, so I guess most recent advancement for me, I think it's really fun, but for most people it's probably just going to sound like they bought a video game. But there's a racing simulator called iRacing. Uh, it's a computer-based uh, video game. And I don't know if I should even use the word video game because it's, it's a full-on racing simulator, you know, it's um, very, very realistic in terms to the physics and the graphics and just how the whole racing tournament operation goes. Sure. Um, And that's something that I've been wanting to get into for a couple years now. That's how I really got into racing, is playing these different simulator video games on the PlayStation and Xbox and whatnot growing up. And so this is really the first, like, serious one. I bought a fairly high-end steering wheel and, like, pedals combo thing. Um, so I've been able to actually simulate the experience of being on the track again because I haven't been on the track for a bit. Um, but I guess kind of where it came from was when I... The whole, like, how racing actually started was a bit of a story. Um but yeah, so right now, basically, it's just racing on the simulator until I feel like I have enough funds to go back to pouring all of my money into being on the track all the time. Because it is, unless you have, you know, businesses sponsoring you or a family with a, you know, a lot of assets to help fund the stream, it's it's pretty expensive. Um, like I would imagine. At the, yeah, so it's this is kind of just a 
while I get my assets up and running to fund the stream. Um, I just figured this would be the the most effective and economic route to basically get the experience of driving and get that training in um, right. without spending all of the money that I don't have. <laughs> right, right. So, so you said it, the, there's a story behind how you actually started your racing career. What, what we got plenty of time if you want to share that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, so, I studied abroad in Australia, and this is my uh, spring semester of my sophomore year in college or university for those international listeners. Um, and while I was there, I was at the James Cook University in Townsville in Australia, way up north on the East Coast. And for my birthday, um, which is uh, mid-March, me and a group of my friends were planning on doing a what's called a liveaboard uh, diving trip. Basically, you go on this boat, and for four days, three nights, you go out to the outer Great Barrier Reef because the where you know the town I was located in is is a good access point to the reef. Um, and like that has been something that I've been wanting to do for a really long time. And you know, a week out, I went to go and buy it. I had like five hundred bucks, six hundred bucks, something like that set off to the side to, to pay for this thing and it was sold out. And so I was like, Oh, well that's lame. Oh, well, I guess oh, I'll no. just hang out. Yeah. I was like, I guess I'll just hang out around campus and, you know, hang out with a couple friends that are still sticking around. Um, and so I was listening to Spotify a ton at the time and I was using their desktop app. And for whatever reason, I didn't have the premium version yet. So I did these advertisements. And when I was mm-hmm. living in Australia, I literally only hear like the same three advertisements over and over and over again. Um, but randomly, like a week before my birthday weekend, um, I, there was an advertisement for the Formula One Grand Prix, the inaugural race, or not the, uh, the, the season opener race in Melbourne, Australia. And mm. I grew up decently following Formula One and Le Mans, these different racing series, basically because that's what my dad followed, and that's really what sparked my interest in racing. Um, but I've kind of been not really, haven't really been following it a whole lot lately over the last handful of years. And so I see this advertisement and I'm like, oh, that's this weekend. And I go on whatever website I was looking at for flights and I found a round trip ticket to Melbourne and back with a layover in Brisbane for like a hundred bucks. <clears throat> and so basically it just worked out perfectly. And long story short, went to Melbourne, had an incredible weekend um, basically just went by myself and I remember getting back to my dorm. It was Monday, March 17th, 2014. I was back in my dorm. I was laying in my bed and it was that, that first night being back after that weekend. And I was just staring at my wife. It's literally like one of the most vivid, uh, memories I have. And I just remembered having this, this huge distinct thought of screw everything I'm going to do this. I'm going to be a race car driver. And like every atom of my being just shook. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah. And it's, I remember it was a little terrifying cause I had no idea <laughs> what that meant. And like the idea sure. of even being in like a high end race car flying around a track scared the shit out of me. Um, <laughs> and it was basically life up until that point and life after that point. Um, oh, sure. But, yeah, so I, I 
that was in March, and so I still had about four months until I got home. And so basically I just spent the rest of the time there just researching, you know, where do I want to go with this, what sort of racing do I want to do. Um, I kind of settled on open-wheeled racing. So if, if anybody knows what, like, Formula One or IndyCar, um, those different – the way that those cars are shaped, that style of chassis is called open-wheeled. Um, Go-karts no. kind of fall in that same category, but on a smaller scale. And so settled on that being the route I wanted to go. Found out that everybody that does that starts off with go-karting. So I came back to Minneapolis after my study abroad trip. Um, got into a one-year lease in Minneapolis, which I don't think I will ever do again because I <laughs> don't like being locked down. But I did a couple go-kart racing leagues and just felt this need that I needed to get out of the Midwest because there's one outdoor go-kart track in Minnesota. It's like an hour away from the cities. You can only use it three months of the year because it's freaking snowed over and freezing. And mm-hmm. there's just not that big of a scene here. So I decided that moving to, to California would be the next big step. So I moved there, uh, moved to the Monterey Bay area and did some things out there for about a year. Um, and moved to... You had, you had like, three different yeah. jobs while you were out there, didn't you? Yeah. Um, so, basically, I had really nothing lined up. I was working at Best Buy at the time, a retail electronics store, and I like, some people can like that sort of job, but I hated it. Oh, my God, I hated it so much. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but so, I transferred to... Um, I was able to transfer to the store in the area I was going to, and I literally knew nothing about this area. It was basically like there's a racetrack called Laguna Seca. It's a very historic racetrack, and you know that was one of the first racetracks that I remember ever racing on on those like Gran Turismo One on the original PlayStation when I was like five years old. Yeah. Um, so I just knew that they had a racing school called Skip Barber. Um, which actually when I got there, I found out that it's, they ran out of money, so they're not even there anymore. <laughs> um, but that was really what drew me to okay. that area. And so I didn't look up anything about the area. I just went on Craigslist, typed it in, found a landlord like a week in advance um, that I just met over Skype and moved halfway across the country. And so I was working at Best Buy. I got there on a Saturday night. And the whole valley I was living in was on fire. We almost had to evacuate the night I got there. Um, oh, and, no, I didn't know that part. Yeah, yeah it was like, <laughs> so it was this little log cabin. Like, is in, if anybody knows this area, it's in this town of Carmel Valley. It's like uh, two and a half hours south of San Francisco. And Monterey and Pebble Beach and Carmel, that's like the main towns in that area. And Carmel Valley is just inland. And... I was like way back in the Carmel Valley at the top of this ridge overlooking this little valley and the whole left side of the valley was just on fire. Um, Oh, God. Yeah, they almost didn't even let me up to the place. And I got there at night, so I had no idea what I was doing. I'm down this like tiny, windy road with like sheer cliffs on one side. Um, And yeah, I guess some drug lord decided to shoot somebody and then burn their body and it slit the whole valley on fire. So I was like, oh, welcome to California. <laughs> wow. Okay. <Yeah. laughs> um, and 
But I got there on a Saturday night, literally had no plan other than I wanted to get into racing, and I had this job at Best Buy, and I had a car, and I had a room in this log cabin out in the middle of nowhere, which almost burned down. And that was about all I had. And so I go to go to work on Craigslist and start looking up different gigs and jobs and something, and I find something on Craigslist about a job working a food truck at the the race upcoming this weekend at the local racetrack. And so Hmm. get there on a Saturday night. By Tuesday night, three days later, I'm at the track meeting this person that used to race motorcycles his whole life and basically hired me to help run this little cafe, um, like coffee, food truck thing. And I didn't even know there was a race weekend, but apparently it was like, I think the second largest event that they have there that year. Oh, wow. It was a huge Porsche, like, reunion. So, like, all of the historic Porsche racing cars and just, like, normal driving cars from the 50s and 60s all the way up to now. Um, like, the biggest Porsche reunion in the world, or at least in North America, I would assume. Um, they do it every four years, and it just happened to be here at this racetrack. So, within three days, I was at the racetrack. That first weekend, I was there for four days, got a free pass along with it and just got to walk around the track they did races and got to see all these different race cars met some people that you know were doing doing different things with racing um after that i was like okay this is exactly where i need to be um so i went back to work that next week i think i went there for monday and tuesday and by the end of those two days i'm like i can't do this anymore i need to get back on the racetrack like that that is why i'm here and right. so went on my laptop, uh, I just went on the racetrack's website. I didn't even know what I was looking for. I was just stumbling around the internet and went on their calendar and noticed that the upcoming Thursday and Friday, there's an event and it just said HOD. That's all it said. So I clicked on it and it just said hooked on driving like track day. So I'm like, Oh, okay. So I Google hooked on driving and go to their website and, just looking around, it, it basically this company, they rent out the track and then they let people of various driving skills bring their own car to the track and basically they get assigned coaching. Um, and like the introductory level group has actual one-on-one coaches or two-on-one coaches. Um, so they sit in your car. And so I somehow found the owner of the whole company, David Ray, literally one of the just good-hearted guys I've ever met. And <laughs> I don't know if I – I don't know what I did. Basically, I found his email. Um, shot him an email. I was just like, yo, I just moved here in my car. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I want to be a race car driver. Like, do you need help doing anything? Um, yeah. Like, <laughs> so give me a call or whatever. Um, so within, like, a few hours, I get an email back, and he's like, Chase, Good email. That's how you get things done in this world. Give me a call in the morning. Here's my cell. I'm like, holy shit, what? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I call him in the morning, and he's like, you know, usually we have a whole process for hiring and all this jazz, but i am just got a good feeling about this. I don't know what we're going to be able to have you do. It might just be, you know, filling coolers with ice, things like that. But come on down to the track. We'll, we'll find somewhere to put you. And so I'm like, oh, holy crap. So Damn. the first day – at this racetrack, you know, a couple Ferraris, I think there's a Lamborghini, uh, 
it's a bunch of Porsches and BMWs and Audis, just really, really nice cars. Um, and a lot of them are like totally decked out, made it to track cars. And I'm just like in heaven. <laughs> and I, I would be in shock if I were you. Yeah, it was kind of just like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm just saying thank you, universe, and I'm just <laughs> going with it because I don't know what's happening. Right. Um, and so that first day, basically, they were just introducing me to the people that do the different roles at the track, um, introduced me to Terry that was the safety steward that sat up by the grid and basically was in communication with all of the um the safety people at all the different stations throughout the track and got to meet all the people that ran the different coaching programs, the person that ran the whole, uh, they call it the pre-grid, basically the cars line up before they actually go into the hot pits or the pit lane, which brings them onto the track. Um, okay. So that first day they're like, okay, after you met everybody, why don't you just help out with running the grid? Um, and I guess that was like my, my role for the day and the weekends. I'm like, I'm you know, more than happy to do that. And it was the last track session. There was a guy that had a really nice Ferrari uh, for those fellow car lovers. It's a Ferrari 599. It's a front-engine, rear-wheel drive, sports car. It's got a V12 naturally aspirated in the front that revs to, like, 9,500 RPMs. So it just sounds like a monster. It sounds beautiful. And stupid fast. It has, like, 660 horsepower or something like that. Um, Oh, my God. Probably a $300,000 car, if I were to guess. And so there's there's a couple other people that have really like nice, fast cars, but he was really the only one that I was watching throughout the day going on the track that was just hammering it. Like, he was actually using a car for what it's made for. And so he comes up to the grid, like, 10 minutes before the rest of the cars do in his group. And so I go up to him, and I just start talking about the car, you know, just kind of shooting shit with him. And once the other cars start lining up, uh, his his coach comes up to him and he's like, "Hey man, I have this, I have the two drivers, you and this other guy. You know, you're doing really well. I think you can go by yourself this time. My other driver, he you know he still needs some work, so I'm gonna I'm gonna ride with him this round, and I'm gonna let you go on your own, and you can go in this other group." And he was like, "Ah, oh, like okay, like you can tell he's kind of bummed that he wanted somebody right. in the car with him." And I'm standing there, I don't know why I had the balls to say this, but I was just like, I mean, I'm like not unofficially being trained to be a coach. I don't care what I said. I'm just like, I'm technically not a coach, but I've done a little bit of racing. I might be able to give you a couple pointers. I could sit with you. And he's like, whoa, would you really? Like, that would be so good. Oh, my God. And I'm like, oh, yeah, like not a big deal. And my heart is exploding at this point. Oh, yeah never been in a Ferrari, never been this close to a Ferrari. <laughs> and, like, I had posters of Ferraris in my wall. Like, my screensavers have been Ferraris the last handful of years on my phone. <laughs> That's I'm amazing. Just like, oh. I'm just like, oh, sh-. just like, what am I doing? Um, so I have a passenger, and he's just flying. I mean, a fairly, you know, novice driver, but, you know, he, he knew what he was doing to some extent. Um, and it was really cool because there were actually a, a handful of times during that 20-minute session where, one, just sitting next to him in a Ferrari as he put the key in and then used the little push-to-start button on the steering wheel. Oh, God. Yeah. I, oof, oof, oof. 
um, and it, it was really cool though because over that 20 minute span there are a handful of times where I actually you know gave him a couple pointers like hey you know as we come into this term like try turning in a little bit later um, or you know try getting on the gas a little bit sooner or do this do that do, do, do like these little tweaks and it actually, he, you know, he picked up on it, and it made a, a huge difference. He was way smoother, way more consistent. I think if you're looking at lap times, which in that sort of environment, we really don't look at lap times at all. Um, but I'm pretty sure he actually went through those various sections faster. And so after that, that was really the light bulb of like, oh, I'm actually kind of good at this. Yeah. Um, like two leagues of basically 14 days of racing go-karts indoors only go about 40 miles an hour and then a lifetime of playing racing simulators somehow sim you know translated enough real life knowledge to the point where i could actually go to someone on a track say hey try this instead and it actually worked and that right. was like huh this is really cool um so Basically, long story short, the next morning I came back expecting to do the grid again. And the coaches in the, in the morning, they're like, hey, we're short on coaches. Can you help us? And I'm like, I don't know what that means, but sure. <laughs> and basically just got thrown in and really over the span of a year just learned the process to be a driving coach, which in turn helped me improve my skills tremendously. Um, right. I ended up selling selling the car I had at a time. My grandparents gave me their old Chrysler um, and I sold that for a, a 1993 Miata um, which really doesn't seem like that much of a car but basically it's like the most budget friendly sports car you could probably get. Um, sure. And so I actually put a roll bar on that. I got to take that on the track a couple times. That was just epic. Um, and over that journey just really solidified the path that I began to walk down. And now it's to the point where, so I moved back home to my parents' house in Minnesota for the summer, essentially. And the next, basically waiting to get a couple of things lined up. And then I'm most likely going to go to the Florida, just Southeast United States area and mm -hmm. bop around to different racetracks. But because I had this, experience with this hooked on driving company and David Ray, the, the owner of the company, he, I don't know if he really realized it, but he really was a mentor figure to me and gave me a, a ton of just invaluable advice and support. Sure. And, um, we, we talked fairly often, um, just with me asking questions about things and, you know, things, various things that I could help him with. And, so now because of that relationship, I could really, because it's a national company and they have different regions and really all the major racetracks in the U.S. they do events at, mm -hmm. I can, as a coach, you know, go to these different events essentially all over the country and just coach at different racetracks. And so that's, that's really the plan moving forward to get back into coaching and get back on big racetracks while I do my whole simulator thing and right. focus on working my craft. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome.
Sorry, I'm drinking some tea. Oh, okay, I was like, I thought I lost you there for a second. <laughs> um, so, okay, so question for you then. What was the scariest part of actually not just deciding to follow your dream and do it, but the actual doing part of it, not just thinking, oh, yeah, this would be great if I did this, but the actual, like, doing it part, like, what was the scariest part about that? And then, like, what helped you get past that? Um, I would say the scariest, or, yeah, I'd probably say the scariest moment in the process of actually doing it was there definitely were moments that should have been scarier, but for whatever reason, I just, you know, didn't think twice about them. But right. the, the very first day that they told me to help out with coaching, that second day at Laguna Seca, um, we go, so I was working with the introductory level group and basically how that was structured was every coach would have two drivers that they'd get assigned to. Um, mm. And so I had these, Two people, this guy with a, uh, like a 2004 Mustang GT, um, and then I, I think somebody else had like a, a BMW or something, irrelevant. But basically, um, the first, there's four sessions in the first session. Before we actually start the session, we have these two, what we call orientation laps. And so what mm-hmm. we do is we have a, the coaches, instead of just riding passenger in one of the two cars, and then... So we have radio headsets. Um, so I have a, a, a walkie-talkie so I can talk to my two drivers, one that's next to me and one that's in the car, either ahead of me or behind me. And mm-hmm. so how the orientation laps work is I drive one of the two cars um, and lead for two laps at like half speed and just show them everything about the track, show them where all the flag stations are, show them you know, where the, the – general turn markers are, where you want to start braking, the different right. passing zones and where those are located and marked. Um, basically all just get them orientated with the track because a lot of people had never been there before. And so I had never owned a car with a manual transmission. I had two days of basically driving to my friend's car my senior year of high school that they taught me how to drive stick, and that was not the prettiest thing in the world. Um, <laughs> and then I did valet, um, valet parking downtown Minneapolis for, like, three months okay. before going to Australia. So all in all, time with a manual transmission, Basically slim zero. to very slim, yes. And <laughs> so I choose... Of my two drivers, I ask if I can drive the guy with the Mustang's car, um, and it's a stick. And I'm just like, oh, fuck, what did I get myself into? Yeah. And so I'm trying to play it cool, just the whole fake it till you make it thing. Uh, never let them see you sweat, like all these different mantras yeah. and quotes I've been reading my whole life where I'm like trying to just play through my head to keep my cool. And so I'm about to go on this racetrack, like in real life, in an actual car with other cars on the track, and I'm supposed to be the expert, and I hope nobody from Hooked on Driving is listening to this. But I was like, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> and, and so we start going, I'm, my heart is pounding. Like, I, yeah. 
I'm like, so the first, probably the scariest, like single scariest moment is we're in the paddock, which is basically the inner inside of this racetrack. And it's all just asphalt. It's kind of like the parking area. So that's where the grid is. So we're lined up in the grid and we're going out and um, this guy has a, a bucket, like a, a Recaro bucket seat in his car. So it's, it's, it's low. So you're, you can't really see the end of the hood and okay. it's a Mustang. So it's a giant hood. And when you go into the hot pits, there's these concrete barriers on either side and you go through one set of concrete barriers and then you go through the next and that's where you turn left into mm-hmm. the, the pit lane. And there is not a lot of space on either side of cars when they go through this. And right. so I'm watching cars and I go through and that single scariest moment of like, I can't see the end of the car. I really hope I don't hit this concrete barrier. <laughs> yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> and I don't know why that was the scariest thing, but you know, got through that and, but just going on the track and I don't think I changed gear once. I'm just like, I'm leaving this stupid thing in third. I'm not going to act like a fool and stall it or do something stupid. Um, right. And, but I literally was driving on Laguna Seca within two weeks of moving to California with no idea what the hell I was going to be doing. And that's incredible. I, it was just like, I didn't even let myself think in that moment. I'm just like, my heart's beating fast. I'm kind of sweating, but I'm here <laughs> and I'm just going to not think about it. I'm just going to do it. And yeah, I, I, really, I think the, you know, the second part of your question for, you know, what I did in those moments or something along those lines, whatever the question was. Yeah. It, when I was in Australia, the, on the way home, I went to New Zealand for a week. If anybody wants to go somewhere in the world, go to New Zealand. It is breathtaking. But so I went to Queenstown, which is labeled as like the adrenaline capital of the world. And anyway, I went bungee jumping and this was really the first act of doing any sort of like adventurous things. Um, actually, technically the second, because I'd always been scared to like jump into lakes and jump off of high surfaces, like even going to the high dive board and just jumping off, not even diving, just jumping off at pools. Like that always yeah. scared, just scared the crap out of me growing up. And so I jumped off like a little 10 foot cliff into a river uh, one day in Australia and I think that was that first step of like, oh, that was actually really fun. And yeah. So then I decided to go bungee jumping. I don't know why I went from a 10-foot jump to a 450-foot jump within a month. Um, it's only logical. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but so that was probably the most like terrifying, like like anticipating type of moment. But yeah. after I jumped... It was a Nevis bungee jump. It's like a 134 meters, which is like 430-something feet. Basically, you're free-falling for like eight seconds. Mm-hmm. And after doing that, it was like any fear, like, you know, logical, rational fear that humans should have of dangerous situations. It's like I just lost it. You know, that, that fear just almost went away. And... Huh. Or at least I... I developed that act of knowing how fun it was and how grateful I was to actually do it. So I I don't know what sort of mental thing 
switched in that moment. But basically every single moment I've come into, it's just been, you know, a lot of years of practicing just trusting in the universe and having faith that everything's going to work out perfectly. But, you know, just stepping into fear and realizing, you know, it's all these silly cliches that tend to be some of the biggest truths, but just like the greatest moments in life are on the other side of fear or whatever that quote goes. Yeah. yeah. That really rang true. And all of these different things that I was really scared to put myself into was once I did, and, you know, it opened the door for these magical, you know, divine intervention type of opportunities that, I don't think really would have happened had I not just sucked it up and not to just remove the fear, but just to step into that fear and experience it. Right. Right. You know what I find really interesting and fascinating about what you feared the most on this whole journey. It was after you actually got out to California and were already doing it. It wasn't the actual like, making the decision and actually like up and driving to California with basically no plan whatsoever. (laughs) And then the small bit of a plan that you did have went to shit because of a drug Lord's fire that he set. Like, (laughs) like you just had the most obscure circumstances happen to you. But then it was after that stuff, that was the scariest moment. And I just think that that's so interesting because I feel like, and, and I mean, honestly, what I was expecting was you to say something along the lines of like, oh, well, it was like actually just driving out to California and just actually packing up and doing it was the scary part. But no, not at all. Or it wasn't the, the fire that was set to the side of the little town that you were <laughs> living in. Where uh, it was working a manual shifter in some dude's Mustang. <laughs> I love it. That's phenomenal to me. I don't know what it was. It just it was the the decision to move to California and actually doing it. Like the really, I had something for housing lined up like a month and a half in advance. But about mm-hmm. two weeks beforehand, I called the lady again just to be like, "Hey, just, you know, I'm coming in like a couple of weeks. Want to make sure things are still lined up." And she's like, "Oh crap! I forgot to call you." And I'm like, "You son of a bitch!" Um, oh no. Yeah, so I should have been scared in that moment, but that's when I went back on Craigslist and found this cabin. Um, But, yeah, just the whole act of beginning the journey, uh, same thing when I moved to Hawaii, is is even when I went across the country or across the world to Australia, like I really, for whatever reason, there really was never a single even, like, a seed of fear. Is most of excitement. Yeah, well, and that's just so interesting because most of these you've done by yourself, right? Like you didn't have someone coming with you on these. Like it was just you and yeah. you. Yeah. So that's really and, cool, though, because yeah. so many people would be afraid of of, do, of even traveling for like a long weekend by themselves. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's I don't know what sort of variables I had you know, growing up that shaped me to, you know, be able to just walk so calmly into these different situations. But, you know, for anybody that's been wanting to to travel or go into these different 
experiences by yourself or with others and are just feel scared. Like really there's obviously, you know, I can logic the shit out of this and be like, there's literally nothing to be scared of. You're more likely to hurt yourself from tipping over a pot of boiling water on your stove than you are to actually have any real danger happen. Right. But, and I totally made that up on the spot. I have no idea if that's actually true or not, but it sounds good. We'll go um, with it. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, it's, just push yourself to grow. You know, these are the experiences that so many people tell me, and I kind of hate that they tell me this. They're like, oh, do it while you're young. Like, do it while you can. I'm like, sorry for sorry, but it's like, fuck you. I'm going to do this my whole life. Like, this is how I want to live. Right. And, you know, this doesn't need to just be some experience that crafts me for the rest of my life. Like, these are experiences that I want to always craft me for the rest of my life. And, right. you know, continue to craft more and more. And, I have learned so much about myself and the world and so many things that, you know, if we, our modern day society, if we're constantly immersed in, in media and news and all these different things and commercialism, a lot of these fears that we're kind of subliminally taught to believe in, mm-hmm. they really don't ring true. You know, the the world is a, a beautiful, magnificent place, and I, I really don't think there's too many people in the grand scheme of things that are really out to get you. And there's everybody I've come into contact with along the way. You know, if you go into these situations and you just have a crappy attitude and are just pissed about life, you know, if you go out into the world, the world's going to slap that right back in your face. Just know that. So, But if you go into the world and just this you know, this light openness to just experience whatever the world has for you and, you know, be able to bring your light everywhere you go. Like, you're going to have an incredible experience and you're going to learn so much about yourself. You're going to learn so much about other people. And I I just, I feel like everybody should. You know, at, at the very beginning of this thing, I said, if you're still in university, if you're still going to school and you haven't studied abroad yet, or it doesn't even need to be an official, like, legitimate program. If, that's, if you need something more structured, then, you know, do that to begin. But just go to the other side of the planet by yourself. Maybe go with a friend or two. I would, I would advise to just go by yourself. But just, just go out into the world and lose yourself. Shed every single thing about yourself that you ever wanted to do, whoever believed in, and just if it's still there at the end of it, you know it's true. And it, that initial trip to Australia literally changed my life. There, I, I can't really put it into words, but it's just like all of these different, it's like I had a clean slate and all of these, you know, personas I was trying to put on, people I was trying to please and groups that I was trying to fit in with, they didn't exist over there. Nobody knew me over there. Nobody knew how I was in the past. So they only knew me in that moment. And it was right. like in that, in that very moment, I could choose to just be me with no fear. And it took two years from that point even to really feel like I've come to solid grips with being me. But yeah. it, it started the process and it made it, it jump-started the process, really. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just a matter of like, as I'm sure you learned, just getting comfortable with who you actually are as a person, like just coming to terms with like, 
okay, like, I'm really, really shitty at this, but I'm pretty good at this. And I'm okay with that. Like, that's okay that I'm not great at this, at whatever it might be, or finding out that you're a certain type of person. Like, small example, I recently as I mean, this is shocking that it's taking me this long to really realize it. But like, I am like the most compassionate, nicest person to people that are on my good side. But evidently, if people are on my bad side, I'm just a dick. Like, <laughs> it's awful. It's terrible. Like, I'm really starting to learn that there are two sides of the Nick Boyle coin. And I mean, to most everyone, I'm super nice. And loving and compassionate and empathetic but there are some people where i just love to stir the pot because i'm able to and i just have to come to terms with hey that's how i am and that's totally fine like i'm very okay with it now mm-hmm. and you know you had to go through all of these different experiences to get to that point and now right. you have, you know, the rest of your life to, you know, use that as your advantage rather than, you know, bumping into things along life because of that, because you didn't realize it. Right, right. So as we kind of wrap up and leave the people that are going to be listening to this, um, what, as we talk about, like, what we're realizing about ourselves and learning about ourselves, you, like, briefly touched over, like, you learned tons about yourself by traveling alone when you first started out in Australia, and I'm sure now being in California and now Hawaii, like, what are, like, the top two or three things that just come to mind right away um, that you learned about yourself throughout this whole journey? Faith, 100% faith, just being able to, California was really that first time in my life where I could really put all these different theories of, you know, manifesting different things and believing in something and working at it and having it actually happen and all of these different, you know, self-help books that you read. California was really the first time of actually seeing the results and coming from the most just random, inexplainable of circumstances. And after right. that, that really taught me to, it began to ta- teach me when I went to Maui, that was really when everything just fell into place so effortlessly and perfectly. And you know, really for all these things to happen, it took four or five years of trying to work on my mind and work on myself and think more positively and be more grateful and put this vision out for what I want to do. And so it didn't happen overnight? Oh, absolutely not. No. Not okay. Just had to double check. <laughs> <laughs> for those people that still don't understand that, it doesn't happen yep. overnight. Um, quick side page. I was reading uh, Too Soon old, too late, smart, something like that. Um, and what just one random quote was, the only things that happen quickly in life are bad things. Mm. You know, a car accident, a, a phone call from the bank, a 
you know, Storm, you know, things like this. But all of the really great things, you know, they take a tremendous amount of time, and that's really what makes them so worth it. But so, yeah. the on this faith thing, like really, California taught me to really like actually believe because I was kind of questioning, like, okay, I've been doing this stuff, I've been, you know, visualizing, writing down what I want to be doing, like, kind of getting a little uncomfortable to try to do these things. But California was really the first time of like okay, here you go, Chase, you know, here's all of these things that you wanted. Not exactly how you wanted them, but probably in a better manner than, you, than what you were, you know, conjuring up. And right. that started this belief of being able to just walk into the darkness knowing that everything is going to work out perfectly. Mm-hmm. And I would say this: the second biggest thing that I've started to learn and I'm definitely continuing to learn, but is not being so set on having these expectations for things to work out the way you want them to. Um, mm. Like I, I went to Maui and on the flight over, which is like a six or seven hour flight, I spent probably an hour and a half, two hours of that flight, just writing down like 20 pages on my journal um, of just like how I wanted my life to look like a year from now on Maui in every single aspect of my life and, you know, just trying to describe it down to a T. Uh, like looking back on it, literally maybe 20% of that stuff actually happened. But oh, wow. what I realized was when I got there, I literally had zero plan. And the plan mm-hmm. I did have was kind of altered from the get go because I was initially planning to go by myself. Um, but my friend Lisa, who was going to move to the big island, I went to go visit her for a few days before I went to Maui. And long story short, she ended up coming to Maui as well. So we were kind of doing this journey together. And really everything turned out a thousand times better than it could have ever been planned for. And so I think the lesson in that is, like, yes, set out the intention but be open to change, being flexible, yeah. being being able to just go with the flow, knowing that everything, you know, as long as you're, you feel like you're on the right path and you're feeling good about things and, you know, putting good vibes out and being nice to people and doing and working at it, you're going to end up at that end goal. Yeah. But being able to just enjoy this process of, experiencing whatever the world's throwing at you along the way. I think that was a very, a very valuable thing I needed to learn. Mm. I love it. Oh, Chase, are you there? Yeah, I'm still there. I, I, I just, that was, that was it. <laughs> okay. Sorry, everything went super silent on my end again. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, before we run into any more technical difficulties over here, um, that's awesome. So thank you for being on here and and sharing that whole story because it was fun for me to hear it again um, a few years later because I think it's the story, the things that happened haven't changed, but the way in which you talk about them has. Um, so for me, that was just very cool to, to hear 
the different tonality that you have when you talk about these things now. Um, and I think it's really neat for everybody that's listening to just hear the story of how, like, literally, like, like when I think of you, I think of, like, the little kid that said, Dad, I want to grow up and be a race car driver, and you're still doing it. Like, you're actually doing it <laughs> and holding on to that dream, not being, like, what do you want to do now? Oh, I'd love to have a nice home in the suburbs with two dogs and a kid and maybe a wife. Like, that was a weird order to say things in, but we'll go with it. <laughs> um, but you get what I mean. Like, you're not, like, yeah. just changing your dream because you're masking it because of practicality or what's realistic. You're still going after what you want to do um, and what you have been wanting to do since you were a kid. And I just think that that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, one last thing that I guess third lesson I know yes for two um, one thing that I just very recently over the past like week kind of got thrown in my face was after reading all of these different personal development and self-help books I didn't realize how I was saying like don't get stuck to these expectations but I really was like too set on having things work a certain way and yeah. like things things, uh, I guess, just truths being a certain way. And I think I was listening to a Tim Ferriss podcast with Mini Mus- uh, Mr. Money Mustache, a uh, really good episode. Um, and I think his name's like Peter or Sam or something like that, whatever the uh, Mr. Money Mustache guy is. He said something mm-hmm. along the lines of, like, you have to live in these certain ways and, you know, hold true to them and, you know, disregard people that, you know, say, oh, that's not realistic and things like that, but don't be idealistic. And that Mm. was just like a punch to the face to me because I think I was so set on things panning out a certain way and like going about things a certain way. Like even if they weren't exactly working perfectly, I was just so set on doing them in that way. Right. That I, I guess just became almost obsessed with the idea of it and that was something that really rang true to me to just like yes believe in these things but be able to just go with the flow and right change along the way and be open to new ideas and new ways to thinking about things um yeah yeah well, I think that, I mean, it's funny that, that you brought that up because that's literally been a lesson that I've been learning lately. Um, I'll need to actually connect you with this woman, but long story short, she's basically like a spirit coach. I got connected with her through Instagram, and um, she created this game over the last decade. And when I played this game, that was one of the things that I needed to um, – be reminded of basically because I was telling her about what was going on. And she basically told me that the reason that things weren't happening is because I was so dead set on, I need to do this in this sort of a way and go in this direction. And she basically was saying like, well, that was the universe's way of saying like, there's nothing for you here. Change directions but not necessarily change directions as in like do something completely different. She's like, just a small little shift is all it takes. And really that's exactly what you were just saying of just being flexible. 
um, and just knowing what your end destination is, but being okay with the path that gets you there. Be okay with it being a little windy every once in a while. Um, yep. And I mean, that's been something that I've been learning a lot lately as well. So I just think that it's very interesting that uh, you're also learning this, a very similar lesson. Mm-hmm. I think one of the inevitable truths is that path is going to be hella windy at times. Yeah. That's not all the yeah. time. <laughs> not all the time, but most of the time. And I mean, for you as a race car driver, how fun would the road really be if it was just a straight shot? Yep. Well, that's what drag racing is, and well, they love it, but that's not mine. That's, I was going to say, I'm like, guys, <laughs> last time I checked, you're not a drag racer. No. So, no. <laughs> so, all right. Well, I think that just about does it. I want to make sure that the few people that are actually listening this far into it, because um, we're going on 54 minutes, um, are still with us. So anyone who's still listening, props to you. This was hella long this time, but we needed to hear this story because I think it's important for people to realize that be patient. Your dreams don't happen overnight. You need to work your ass off to get there and you need to take chances on yourself. That's a lot of, that's mainly what I took away from your entire story is just literally just take a chance on yourself and what you actually want to do in life. And sometimes you'll actually surprise yourself at, uh, where it takes you. So um, until the next episode of Nick at Night, uh, thank you everyone for listening and thank you, Mr. Chase Nichols, for being on here. Um, And people that want to follow your journey, where can they find you on social media? Uh, Well, Facebook, I post pictures and stuff, but not a whole ton of stuff. Um, Okay. It's just Chase Nichols. I'm sure you'll spell it the way it's spelled in a little bio or whatever um but instagram is probably what i use most now and that's at chickles so c-h-i-c-k-e-l-l-s so if you know how my first and last name is spelled it's basically ch from chase and then nickels from nickels so dope all right perfect awesome well thank you chase for taking the time and being on here and uh i'm excited to uh hear how everything goes for you down in uh the uh, southern U.S. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I'm grateful for you, man. Yeah, same to you. Yes, thank you. Take care. Adios. Bye.